0: 12. This is going to be rough, Jake said. Everyone be very careful. Jake, why don't we do this one at a time? Cassie suggested. I'll go first, then I can help the others. Okay, Jake said. Cassie morphs first. She's fastest. It made sense. Cassie was the best at morphing, Jake was using her for her special talent. Like he used Marco for his suspicious mind. Like he used Axe for his knowledge of all things alien. Like he used Tobias for his raptor eyes and ears. Like he used me. For what? For my recklessness? For something dark that lived inside me? Cassie's Thoughtspeak voice fell silent as she began to morph. I saw her only once in a one-second burst of electric light. She was a twisting, misshapen mess of waterlogged feathers and skin with an eerie Halloween face. I heard her yelp in surprise, and when the next lightning flashed, all I could see was a human hand raised above the water. Cassie, I cried. Cassie, No answer. She was drowning. Stupid to let her go first. She was a great morpher, but I was a better swimmer. I began to demorph as fast as I could. Jake, she's drowning! I yelled. Don't do anything stupid, Rachel. She'll pull it out! I thought bull, but I kept quiet and continued growing, heavier and heavier, less and less buoyant. Soon I was a 50-pound mass with a handful of feathers. I began to sink. I sucked at the air and filled my lungs, just as a wave crashed down and buried me. I expected to bob right back up, but the wave had driven me down, and I had no hands to swim with. My feet were huge bird claws, only now beginning to web up. Panic! No, no, I ordered myself, enraged by my momentary terror. Keep morphing. It's the only way. But my lungs were burning already. I'd gone from tiny seagull lungs to human lungs, and there wasn't an ounce of air in my body. I craned my head back to look up, But was it up? I couldn't be sure. It was dark all around me, dark as if I'd fallen into a vat of ink. Where was up? I was swimming now, kicking with human feet and snatching at the water with human hands. But I couldn't feel gravity. I couldn't tell if I was rising or simply plowing myself further and further down. And then, something bumped against me. I couldn't see it, but I could feel rubbery skin. Relax, Rachel, Cassie said. You're going the wrong way. She pushed her dolphin nose under me and propelled me up and up. Had I sunk that far? Till my face exploded upward, passing from black water into falling rain. I swallowed air, swallowed water, slipped back under when a wave took me, then was lifted once more into the air. I realized I was straddling the dolphin's back, I sagged forward and hugged Cassie's back. Thanks, I managed to gasp. Take a minute. When you're ready, I'll keep you above water till you're dolphin enough. Ten minutes later, we had all morphed to dolphin. Cassie supported me. Then she and I supported Jake. The rest morphed quickly after that. Tobias went last. He had to pass through his red tail face, so we all worked to keep him above water.
1: Great weather for this,
0: Marco grumbled.
1: What is this, a hurricane? It's not bad enough to be a half-bird, half-human trying to swim. We gotta do it in the middle of a typhoon? Water,
0: Tobias said darkly.
1: See, this is what happens. Water is always trouble. Up in the sky, you can at least see what's going on.
0: And yet, all the worry I felt seems to have evaporated, Axe said. I feel quite relaxed. Happy,
1: even. Dolphin brain,
0: Marco said. It was true, of course. It's very hard to stay upset when you're in Dolphin Morph. A dolphin in the ocean is like a kid in a candy store. Like Cassie at a nature preserve. Or like me at a department store sale. Well, we're all alive, so let's get going. We're already probably late, Jake said. Approximately ten minutes behind the schedule we discussed, Axe said. Let's motor, I said. We took off, a happy contented pod of dolphins slipping in and out of the water. We plowed through the almost vertical walls of advancing waves, suddenly going airborne out of the backsides. Storm? What storm? Waves? Waves were fun! Darkness? Who cared? We could echolocate. Wind? It was cool. It could make you soar further when you jumped. Thunder? Just a noise. As for lightning? Well, if you swim underwater and roll onto your side so you can point one eye straight up, the lightning becomes this huge flashbulb. The entire surface of the water flashes brilliant silver, but it's a twisted, mottled silver, like a platter someone has battered with a hammer. One eye up to the lightning one eye down into darkness. It didn't bother the dolphin brain. The dolphin brain really didn't have the emotion of fear. Maybe other creatures knew fear, but the dolphin brain was not programmed for it. Unless, of course, I suddenly saw a black and white Pinto Pony pattern. That would mean a killer whale, and then the dolphin's instinct for survival would kick in. But towering waves? Lightning? Howling wind? Black water? They meant nothing to me. We ran along the coast till a leap in the air revealed the far too familiar lights of the Marriott Resort. And now my human mind came back full force, with all its own fears and rages. See, we weren't done morphing in the water, and this time it would be in the surf. Chapter 13 We echolocated a submarine about a mile offshore. Dangerously close, I thought. And of course, we were very aware of a number of fast coast Guard patrol boats cruising up and down through the surging sea. They played searchlights over the water, but naturally, it was child's play for a dolphin to avoid them. They disappeared at last behind a small rugged island about a mile offshore. It was nothing but a jumble of rocks, really, plus a couple of scruffy trees. I popped out of the water to get a better look. I don't know why, then, but something about that desolate place made me edgy. Or at least as edgy as you can get while you're a dolphin. We swam toward shore, the six of us abreast. I could echolocate the rising slope of the seabed. It was only a few feet deep, and even the dolphin brain was nervous, as we felt the waves crashing down and almost slamming us into sand and gravel and broken shells.
1: Are we close enough?
0: Marco wondered. We need to get as close as we can, Cassie said. A little more. Soon, my grey rubber belly was scraping the sand and my tail was almost useless. Okay, now, Cassie said. Our morph should be able to power up out of this depth. I began to demorph. I wasn't looking forward to it. This was practically Hawaii-sized surf. The waves gained power as they came rushing up the sloping seabed. All that water just kept piling higher and higher till it was a rushing, teetering, two-story wall of water. I tried to time it, but there was no way. A wave caught me mid-morph and slammed me face down into the sand. Worst of all, we could not allow ourselves to be washed up onto the beach. The beach was crawling with security patrols, guys in night vision goggles, who saw everything as though it were illuminated by a green sun. We could not be seen till we were ready. For that reason, the surf was perfect. For every other reason, it was definitely not. I made it to human morph and was nailed by a wave of exhaustion almost as devastating as the real waves. Morphing wears you out. Morphing repeatedly on no sleep is beyond exhausting. I swear, I could have just laid down in the water and fallen asleep. But then I was propelled almost headfirst into the wet seabed. I fought my way back up and grimly set about morphing yet again. Now things were beginning to change for the better. I was morphing an African elephant. Tons of African elephant. As I passed my first ton, I found the surf didn't bother me quite as much. I backed further out to sea to conceal my growing bulk and keep the very recognizable elephant head silhouette from being seen on shore. I looked left from one eye and right from the other. I saw the rest of my friends growing vast and bulky in the surf. Jake was in his rhinoceros morph. Marco had chosen to acquire that same animal. Cassie, Tobias, Axe, and I were a matched set of elephants. The elephant and rhino morphs had several things in common. They were faster than they looked. It took more than a handgun to knock them down. And people who saw them coming had a tendency to want to run away. We were... I don't know... Maybe 15 tons of bone and horn and tusk and muscle. Ready? Jake asked. Ready, Marco answered. This animal's nose moves quite delicately, Axe said. I could see fairly well with the elephant's eyes, unlike Jake and Marco, who were half-blind. I could see the softly-lit bungalows just off the beach. I could see the taller, brightly-lit hotel building beyond. Our goal was the bungalows. They housed the world leaders. Our plan was painfully simple. If we couldn't stop the Yerks by subtle means, we'd just tear the place apart. Then, most likely, the big banquet where Vista 3 hoped to strike would be cancelled. Like I said, not a brilliant plan. But you know what? As tired, mad, scared, annoyed, worried, and filled with self-doubt as I was at that moment, The sweet simplicity of it all seemed like pure genius to me. Hey, Marco, who's that comic book character who's always yelling, it's butt-kicking time? I asked.
1: That's the thing, and what he says is, it's clobbering time.
0: Yeah, well, whatever. Let's go do some serious stomping. Chapter 14 You almost have to feel sorry for the Secret Service and all the other security guys on the beach, huddling in the rain beneath their ponchos, while they gaze through night vision goggles. One minute it's nothing but waves and lightning. The next minute, it looks like a small pod of whales has decided to get up out of the ocean and go hang out on the beach. I mean, their training must have prepared them for almost anything. But not, definitely not... For the possibility that two rhinos and four African elephants would come trumpeting and snorting out of a 100-year storm surf. (coughs) I announced myself. I heard a human voice say, What the? I broke into a charging run. I had to deal with a little bit of a slope, but I had plenty of power and legs the size of tree trunks. I raised my trunk high and bellowed again. I was running full tilt. So were the others. Suddenly, the lightning flashed, and I could see half a dozen utterly baffled men and women in drenched rain slickers staring at us with six identical open mouths. Only one reacted like he had a clue. He drew his gun and started firing. Right at me. You'd think a trained marksman could hit an elephant. But I guess it isn't all that easy in a pitch-black night with rain in your face. Chances were, the guy who was firing at me was a controller. A normal human's first thought would not be to shoot an elephant on the beach. I went at the man, full speed. The muzzle flash was like tiny echoes of lightning. This time, I felt a bullet hit me in the shoulder. It didn't hurt, exactly. I was just sort of aware of it. He didn't get a chance to fire again. I lowered my head. Bringing my hugely long tusks into line with the gunman, and he turned and ran. Remember, we have to assume these are all innocent humans, Jake said. His thought-speak voice came to me, just as I was considering whether I should run the guy through with my tusks, or trample him. Of course, Jake was right. These were innocent bystanders. Mostly. We were here to wreak havoc and scare the heck out of everyone, but not to hurt anyone on purpose. Now, other guards had decided they'd better shoot at us too. All down the beach came the sound of gunfire, along with shouts and cries that were instantly snatched away by the howling wind. Everyone ready? Jake called. Charge! Marco laughed.
1: Charge? I bet he's always wanted to say that.
0: We charged. Like some Mondo Frico version of Gettysburg, we raced up the beach toward the two closest bungalows. Fifty yards. Twenty yards. I was eating up the beach, my big round feet plowing deep with each step. A line of bushes. I barely registered the thorny scrapes on my grey leather hide. I was huge. I was a tank. I was running at full speed, my sail-like ears flapping in the wind, my powerful trunk trumpeting madly, my tusks thrusting, searching for something to impale. I was pure power. Pure momentum. Pure, out of control animal energy. I tore through a decorative trellis and stomped it to toothpicks. Then, a wall. I ran, slewed my head to the side, and slammed that wall with my right shoulder. Woomph. Crunch. I backed up a step and swung my weight forward again. Woomph. Crunch. One more time. I cried, laughing idiotically in my head. I backed up, and this time, there was no woomph, just a tearing, breaking, twisting sound. All of a sudden, bright light shone out on me from the big hole I'd made in the wall. Then I saw Marco in his new rhinoceros morph plow into and through the door. Into and through being all one motion. The security guys were getting serious. Elephants and rhinos running around. Well, that was almost funny. Elephants and rhinos beating in doors and knocking down walls? That was a whole different matter. I shoved at the hole I'd made and found myself blinking in the bright light, blinking and staring at Marco, and at the man sitting in an easy chair, wearing a tuxedo shirt, a tie, black socks, and glossy black shoes. His tux coat and pants were draped over a chair. He had a somewhat familiar face, the leader of a great power. He was sitting in his jockey shorts and calmly pouring a glass from a bottle of clear liquor. Then he glared belligerently at me and Marco. Now, I'm not going to say who this man was, or what nation he headed, but he was drunk. Drunk, but no coward. He just sat there in his underwear, glaring at us, defying us. What do we do? Marco asked me. I guess we go tear up someone else's bungalow, I suggested. Suddenly, about twelve security guys came bursting into the room, guns drawn. And not just handguns, either. These guys had automatic weapons on us. But the man in the chair said something loud and curt in a foreign language. No one fired. The man in the chair made a sort of, after-you sweep with one hand, indicating that maybe Marco and I should leave. So we did. We went out through another wall and dragged half the roof down with us, but we left. Behind us, I heard a roar of delighted laughter like we'd really made the old guy's day. I guess, if you think about it, hanging out with a bunch of politicians talking about peace must be kind of dull. After a couple days of that, maybe you kind of welcome massive, enraged animals barging through your living room.
1: Hello, phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs' auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And uh I'm a little tired today, so let's just skip through uh these end show notes as fast as we can. How about it? Because I don't have any new messages. No one's written in this week, which is fine. But if you would like to write in this week, or if you'd like to write in not this week, but maybe next week or the week after or anytime you want, you can do that uh, a variety of ways. You can do that through Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can do it on Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can do it through my website That's theapodcalypse.com The Like Apocalypse but with a D in the middle To make a silly pun Uh, And you can also reach out On Twitter At Audiomorphs That's also where you should check if this show's ever late I'll be posting um, announcements And the such there Uh, What else Uh, If you use Apple Podcasts And like to leave me a rating and review I'd appreciate it I think that'd be cool. Or you could tell a friend that you think might enjoy listening to some guy read Animorph books. I don't know. That's, uh, is that it? I think that's it. That's good enough for me. Thank you all for listening. Um, and I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.